Welcome to the Microbial Secret Society, where David and I dive deep into the microbial realm and initiate you into the Microbial Secret Society. So enjoy our podcast. The first hour is always free, and the second hour is only available to members at microbialsecret.org. So thank you, and uh, let's begin. Three, two, one, and we're live with the Microbial Secret Society. We're live on another episode of the Microbial Secret Society podcast. Aloha, Drake. Hey, David. Good, good to hear from you. Yeah, always good to hear from you. Um, yeah, man. I, I really appreciate our, our conversations and um, being able to share them with, with the Secret Society. Yeah, I so I've been um I've been stoked on listening to the older episodes of the podcast. You've been getting a lot out of listening to previous episodes. Well, I feel like each time I listen to them there's more like a layer of a, a layer is peeled away like an onion getting deeper. Kind of like a good book like every time you read it there's like underlying kind of underlying kind of uh, themes or meanings that you might not pick up on the first time, but uh, through repetition, maybe you're able to grasp and gain a little bit more from it. Well, I would say like in the last, like the episode we did with Logan and then with, with uh, Harry and, and even Tom Eibold, each time we have a guest, like, it's really about like when I listen back to the episodes, I'm like, wow, I didn't even hear that the first time. Yeah, just so much information kind of being presented in a way where it's like, wow, man, like you could almost kind of miss things. And, and that's definitely how I felt, especially after the episode with Harry. I haven't had a chance to re-listen to it yet, but I just felt like, I don't know, I was on like a shamanic trip or something during the second hour and I was just like, you know, there's so much information and life lessons and things that I feel like are in that, that episode. And um, I, I hope it's really valuable for anyone who gets the opportunity to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. And always, always definitely encouraging people to tune into the second hour to get like, because really the second hour we did go deep and that shamanic journey, man, was good. Yeah, man, it was almost like, yeah, we were on medicine or something, but we weren't. I mean, but kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. So been been enjoying it. Looking forward to tonight. What uh, what's what's first on your uh, on your mind to dive into this this evening? Well, I wanted to talk about like a personal aspect of myself that I'm working through that I feel like might be able to help others that could relate and kind of be a little vulnerable with it. Um, and then there there was another topic that I wanted to kind of touch on and kind of dive into with um, Alistair Crowley and Helena Blavatsky. And um, you kind of talked about how, yeah, like every time you listen to it, you kind of get a little bit more of information, whether it's through the podcast or other sources or whatever. And it's just interesting from some of like uh, Alistair Crowley's work where like in the prefixes of some of his books and stuff, it actually says that like for, for the, th this book is like 
basically really hard to understand. And as you become more in depth as a student, it's going to actually be even harder and harder to grasp these kind of concepts. So I just kind of thought that was like a little bit interesting um, to kind of create that little parallel there. Well, and another thing Alistair Crowley often says is, um, you know, don't don't take what I'm saying as um, dogma or truth. Like I'm giving you exercises uh -huh. or and or accounts and, and and my experience, but please do this for yourself because, you know, I he, like he doesn't he doesn't try to say like he's not full of shit. Yeah, yeah, not at all. Um, there's actually like a little bit of conspiracy within there of I don't know how familiar you are with like. Um, Alistair Crowley and then Helena Blavatsky who kind of came before him um, there's there's actually like when you kind of dive deep into the rabbit hole it's it's almost like did these like did Helena Blavatsky even exist you know did like or or is a lot of it kind of like f fiction huh. and um, kind of with Cro Crowley too because like when you and you kind of dive deep into their story about, especially um, Blavatsky, there's, there's just like not a lot of things that can like, for someone that has claimed to travel all over the world, like all through Egypt and Europe and, and ba basically the whole world during, during a time period where there weren't really, where travel wasn't as accessible as it is today, it's kind of hard to like, to kind of validate her stories when there's when there's not a lot of yeah when there's not a lot of evidence that actually says that she was actually in these places or in these things and it kind of seems like she got like she got a lot of her teachings from like these tibetan monks and she kind of says that you can you can find these teachings from these sources from these books and they they're they actually like don't exist like they're not public like you can't access them so I thought that was a little interesting, but, um, yeah. So and, and I don't know, I think Crowley's kind of just like in so like he really made his way into pop culture and kind of into a lot of mainstream people like Led Zeppelin and, um, there's definitely a few others, but, um, I don't know. I think it might be a hoax, man. <laughs> really? So you, yeah. you, you're thinking you're thinking those great characters may have not even existed. Um, I think Crowley existed. I it's I, I just think it's really hard to even think that um, Helena Blavatsky actually like existed and did the things that she did, given given her time frame and the period that she was living and being able to validate those things through like fact and evidence. It's it's kind of really hard when you start going in, into the rabbit hole with it, but. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just interesting with like, kind of, yeah, it, it's kind of almost like mainstream occult in a way. Well, H, I mean, they, they call her HPV, Helena Petrova Blavatsky, HP, HPB. And, um, yeah, but she, so I, I haven't, I haven't studied too much about her travels and her work. I, the, the way I, the way I'm familiar with her is she's the founder of the Theosophy Society. Yeah. And, and has connection to the, the Golden Dawn Hermetic Order and, and things like that. 
but um yeah she, she she just has like a really interesting story like she married she married this like general colonel from i think it was either germany or russia and then like they kind of ended the marriage and then like traveled the whole world and then like kind of reunited with him as long as as long as he would like be okay with her not spending like that much time with her and it's just like kind of yeah i just i don't know when you look at her time period and you look at what what what's depicted in her life story it just doesn't really something doesn't seem to add up it's like really hard to like kind of to kind of like prove that she was like like all the accounts and stuff that are attributed to her her being a name like actually existed well so she definitely found some legitimate truths and some like literate works and was able to publish these things in a way that made her notoriety you know have notary notoriable mm-hmm. you know like uh, noticeable that's a good, better way to say it you know you know so there so obviously whether she is like inflated or whether she even existed, whether she's like fictitious in, in the first place. Uh, you know, like the, the thing, the thing that I find about it, like is like, and I'm more familiar with Crowley on this, is that if you read his works and you do his exercises, they produce mm-hmm. results. So you're you're saying from your experience, like going through his practices and guidelines, that if you actually do what he's suggesting, that you'll experience results firsthand, and that um, that there's something beneficial to it. Yeah, and that and that that the the source of of his knowledge and where he acquired it from and how he got it, the the I, I'm I'm uncertain of, and that's where that's where it becomes more um vague or or and 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 personally somewhat somewhat less important i mean you know to to a certain degree important but not really mm-hmm. like yeah does it even matter if if all the accounts and that these things happened as long as there's something valuable that you may be able to gain from the teachings yeah yeah so so just to quickly like bring that this scenario that you're talking about to natural farming here and like say say mm-hmm. you you read master cho's book and you started to make green juice from heaven um also called can of food or fermented plant juice and then you applied it to your plants and your plants just f- respond phenomenally so so with with yeah. that like you you read the recipe you did the work you in in whether the guys you know crowley at least says like don't you know don't don't trust me try it whereas most teachers want you to trust them you know before but but you try master cho's recipe and it works then does it matter where master cho's source was or his you know maybe he learned it from the japanese maybe he traveled the world to learn it maybe he didn't travel maybe he just stayed home with wikipedia you know, but you, but he wrote about it and you tried his thing and it worked. So like, I find that to be a very similar parallel. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Like 
yeah, maybe getting too deep into like, you know, where it came from or how it came to be doesn't really matter as long as, um, yeah, as long as long as uh, it works. And 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 do you know do you know um, Crowley's main thing through Thelema, like the main credo? No, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. So, so the the Crowley like Thelema, there's two. There's two like kind of ultimate rules, and and the one is is do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And and then the second is love is the law, love under will. So allowing love to dictate your actions. Yeah, well, but oftentimes you think like do what thou wilt and you maybe think like you're the thou, but it's really this higher like serving. It's and, and that, that I, I say those two statements there, those two rules, um, are really similar to what um what Matthew said in the in the Bible, which is like kind of like the the um the um do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. Yeah, so if you're if you're looking for something in a relationship or you're needing something, then then make more of an effort to to kind of embody that within yourself and then allow that to be reflected but don't get attached to that outcome i guess it's a little easier said than done well i mean i i bring these principles back to like mathematics and like actual golden ratio ideas of like the biggest to the whole is thus you know smallest to the big it's actually like a golden mathematical formula the the golden ratio using like nature's blueprint to kind of solidify and, and um, understand these kind of principles that are, that are being kind of sp spoken in these texts or wherever they come from. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I believe they're, they're trying to develop a system of morality and a way to interact in a pono way with the universe. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I guess that kind of like kind of leads into the other thing. One of the other topics that I wanted to talk about within myself that um, I'm working through and working with is uh, and trying to understand and like really dive deep. Like what is, what is the root of it all is um, anger. So kind of, kind of what I've been observing within myself is, getting triggered by things and recognizing that that um that that anger can be like super damaging you know it can be damaging to relationships it can create fear within our lives and we can see anger as a problem but trying to uh, trying to understand it and and utilize anger as a powerful and healthy force within our lives and um yeah, that's kind of what I've I've been kind of working through and seeking self-help about is like, you know, trying to understand where where is anger, where is this emotion coming from, 
And um, typically when, when one person gets mad or anybody gets mad, um, when, you, when you ask them why, it, it, it could be a whole slew of different reasons, but it can go, it basically leads to uh, pr provocation. So we're kind of provoked by something. And the list goes on and on about like why we get angry in situations, but typically the reason that we feel those things they can kind of be summed up to we either feel powerless, we, we have an unpleasant situation, something that we deem to be unfair, we could be angry about something that could have been avoided, um, and, either, and, and also our goals could be blocked. So that's kind of that's why we get mad through that provoke, pro, provocation. And within that state, there's also a pre-anger state where... Um, we could be needing something else during that time. We could be thirsty. We could be needing, we could be hungry. We could be sleep deprived. There's other things that kind of, that kind of happen. And then when, when that prov provocation happens, there's this point called, that's called the appraisal stage. So when we, when our mind appraises some, like appraises something, that's basically like, how do we make sense of this within our lives? And there's a primary focus where we basically say, um, is this blameworthy? Like, is there, is there a way, like, how is this affecting our lives and where is this, like, how can we draw the blame? And then there's a secondary appraisal where after we go through that stage um, where we ask, like, is, is this the worst thing that's happened to me? And, you know, if I'm going to draw up a situation where it's an imaginary situation where it could invoke anger within, say, you, um, just imaginarily. Um, we could give you the example of driving. So you could be driving, and you could be stuck in this, like, terrible, terrible traffic, right? So when, you know, you get, you're getting provoked by that, and then the appraisal stage kind of goes to, well is this blameworthy? You know, is this blameworthy? Well, well, yeah, you can blame, you can blame someone in front of you about, um, you know, being, you know, being stuck in traffic and not wanting to do that. But then say the scenario is that you, you have to go to a job interview, right? So now the scenario is that you're late in traffic and you have, you have somewhere where you need to be. And then that goes into the secondary appraisal where, is this the worst thing that's kind of happening to me? And, and sometimes we're able to kind of like, like let that go. Um, but yeah, I, I'm ultimately just kind of throwing it out to just try to under, understand my own psychology and other people's psychology and how this kind of happens. And then when we do experience that anger after that appraisal stage, um, it just leads to like a whole slew, like a whole mess of different things where where we can catastrophize things, where we basically make the worst of them and, and kind of project these, these things. We, it's often when people are angry that there's a misattribution to causation. So, you know, we, we put blame on things where it doesn't belong. You know, that could be an inanimate object. That could be another person. Um, and then, and then there's almost this like uh, the stage of like demandingness, where we, where we demand our needs over anyone else's. Where it's like I need to get to that 
job interview. That is all that matters. So I'm going to be angry. I'm going to put that, that kind of above. And then there, there, and then there's this uh, overgeneralization where we're using words like always and never and every. And um, I mean, it can even go to like an inflammatory labeling, which can be, you know, name calling or, you know, using words that, that aren't necessarily um, in the highest alignment with, with who we are, you know, as a, as a soul being and in our heart and stuff. So I don't know. I just kind of wanted to throw out that topic and talk about it within my life and maybe see if it resonates with you or anything that you, you can kind of draw from that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a pretty interesting synopsis of anger and like understanding its root causes. Where, where have you been researching this from? Um, I've been researching it from, you know, YouTube university and, you know, different scholarly articles and, and Ted talks and things like that. And just kind of understanding like different opinions and different perspectives of it. And, um, honestly that they claim that like anger is like a, is a, is an evolutionary trait that human beings like were gifted where if you go back to like primal times where there were gigantic animals and, and mammals and things like that, that were, that were eating other humans. Um, there is actually an evolutionary stage where like anger allowed the human to kind of evolve from those things. And like typically and generationally and societally, um, we haven't necessarily been handling anger in the most healthy ways, you know, war, fighting, physical, those types of things. And, and we can recognize that, that that's definitely not the way, but um, trying to view it as a healthy force and something that, that is trying to be expressed. And ultimately, like when anger is expressed, there's some sort of injustice that's happening, either within oneself or how one is perceiving something, um, but it, it it's 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 some sort of injustice that's not necessarily being communicated in the most healthy ways during those times. Huh. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Um, I I wanted to share with you about a little bit about the um, Abraham, in so um, Esther and channels this this entity called uh-huh. Abraham. And um, he once streamed through her the emotional um, uh, ladder of feeling, uh, of like, you know, like grading each feeling, like which is the lowest of low feelings. And the lowest one that they picked, like mm-hmm. number, number one is like depression. Like if you're in your worst, like lowest vibration state, you're depressed. And then above that, number two is, is anger. Or, or it's, it's, you know, anger is above that one. I think, I think it's number two. And so what it's saying is, you know, if you're super depressed, you don't even want to do shit. You just want to die and just be there and just like fuck the world, you know, like you're depressed. But as you raise up the emotional scale, you, and then you get up to anger. Now you're like, well, well, you know, you're the source of the problem and this is that, and you're no longer in this depressed, like lowest state. You're actually now in like an action type of state 
where you want to, you know, like that person is angry or this situation and, and it catalyzes you more into action, which then can lead you into, of course, higher up states where then you'd, you'd enter into like c- compassion or something, you know, maybe, maybe I'm jumping too far right now, but they're, they're incremental, just like a little bit better feeling than anger is maybe like resentment or something you know now you're not angry you're just like upset that someone was the source of the problem then up from there then it's like you understood them a little more so now you're and so but one other so so you go up this scale but one of their things they say is a human pitfall is that a lot of times you'll see someone that's really depressed and then they'll start to get angry and people will say well oh no don't mm-hmm. be angry or they'll drug you back into like being not angry and they don't let you go through that angry stage to get up above that to a higher feeling. And they say, don't be angry. And then they put you back to depression. And that's kind of like the way our society operates. And when I, you know, when I felt those feelings and tried to climb up that ladder, you know, I, I felt like that is kind of the next stage. Like after, you know, if you're depressed, like, and then you're angry, then you're doing something. Now you're moving to like a higher state of like cooperation, hopefully, you know. Yeah, definitely. And and that makes me think about uh this book that I read that talks it's called Power versus Force and it's by a philosopher named David Hawkins. And um he's actually they actually got this like whole map of consciousness. That's kind of like what you're explaining and it's like a scale. And there's like a a force which is like kind of like described as like a weak, a weaker type of thing versus like power, which is much more strong. Like even the I Ching talks about that where, you know, you like you can, you can force people to do things, you know, and, and that might work temporarily, but real power is kind of cultivated from, you know, true humble acceptance and innocence and, and leading from the heart and, and kind of embodying the principles of the sage. So they, they have this map of consciousness that goes from like zero to a thousand. And um, there's different levels. I think the, the, the lowest level is shame. And then it goes to guilt. Then it goes to apathy, grief, then to fear, then to desire, then to anger. And then, and then it talks about how the majority of our, our human consciousness is like kind of in that realm, in those, in those kind of levels. And, and each, one of those, each one of those levels has a different emotion that's associated with it. So the, the emotion with um, anger is hate. Um, the emotion with desire is craving. The emotion with fear is anxiety. The emotion with grief is regret. The emotion with apathy is despair. The emotion with guilt is blame. And the emotion with shame is humiliation. And then we can get to this, this stage where, where when we're able to, like you said, experience those emotions and not like look down on it. Like, oh, don't be angry. You know, don't be angry. Don't do that. Like allowing yourself to actually feel those things. And then we come into a, a level of pride. And, and then above pride is like courage. And then, and then from there, we can get to a place of neutrality, then to willingness, then to acceptance, then to reason, then to love, then to joy, and then to peace. And then the last level would be enlightenment. 
and it, and it talks about how you know there, there's actually like some like some sort of like thing or test that you can take that like allows you to kind of see where you're at on this scale and like the majority of people will move up the scale in their lifetime but it's it's kind of like yeah there needs it, it talks about how like extreme events and things like actually really kind of move people up the ladder whether it's like some sort of spiritual awakening or something but it's like a yeah it's, it, it's like a map of consciousness so I, th I thought that's an interesting kind of parallel between those well, I would say extreme events move you up or down the ladder too. I mean, or down, can, yeah, definitely. Also have tragic shit happen. It's like, if, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the keys is to always keep your mind open to like positive growth in every scenario. Yeah, definitely. Like I've even gotten to the point where where I've like reached out. I've reached out to people that like I used to have intimate relationships with and um, you know, just talking to them and saying like, Hey, like, did I, like when we were together did, did we like, was I ever at a point where like, you know, I, I was just so angry and like uncontrollable and these types of things. And like, what's kind of surprising is like the, the past people I've reached out to, they, they were actually like, they were like, yeah, you know, like we, we definitely like, you know, had ups and downs and things like that. But I, but I, I felt that like, you know, when, when you were going through something or if you were upset or you were angry, I, I was actually able to empathize and understand where you were coming from and understanding that, which, which I kind of was like, huh? So I don't know. I'm just in this process of like self-evaluation and really trying to like to go deeper within myself and, and try to understand these things in a more humble way. Yeah. That's always good to like kind of have a framework and little guidance system too, to help, to help understand. I, uh, yeah, I guess anger is an interesting thing of, I, I liked your ideas before about things being unfair, or like unjust or something caught triggering the, those feelings of anger yeah and recognizing that you know you you are capable of healing and 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 i i have clear boundaries is if having you in my life is self-betrayal i will say goodbye i enjoy your company and i hold you accountable even if that means we disconnect and i will be the person that i am because like I, I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm just recognizing like, it, it's so interesting. It's so interesting when we look at our ourselves and our lives and people like if we're in relationships or partnerships and things like that, and finding balance within what we're needing and where that person may or may not be at but finding acceptance for it. So like I, I can, I can desire something and recognize when something that is, that is not being met, but I guess I'm working more on the acceptance aspect of, of, of really like not, not trying to like strive or seek to change somebody else. Cause, cause I just feel like that just kind of creates a little bit more resentment. 
you know, when we're wanting to, like, when we're wanting other people to be in a certain place or this space and they're just not there. And like, you know, we can, we can still unconditionally love somebody, but, and we can accept that, but we can have a clear boundary and kind of recognize like, you know, if, 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 if we're unable to, if we're both able to healthily express our needs and, 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 in a dynamic and we're, we're unable to kind of compromise and kind of to meet each other halfway, then, then I can accept that. But I, but I can't, I can't try to change you. I can't try to change you to be someone else and try to, and, 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 and I can't expect that either. Yeah. Well, having, having the ability and freedom to walk away and then to be able to exercise that right is, is vital. Like, I mean, there, there are, there are situations where you cannot exit them. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to levels of like, you know, death or like, (laughs) you know, um, yeah, no, I just, I mean, I just had a situation where I felt like I wasn't being met halfway or even near, like near halfway, um, where I had a, a verbal agreement with some people. And then the agreement over, you know, it was a many year agreement, but it turned into something that um, other parties were then privy to and other parties were taking control of the agreement that I had with a, another individual. And, um, and then I just had to say, you know, this isn't, this isn't what I I agreed to. And there was, there was a bit of anger because I felt, I felt wronged. I felt, I felt like some, some sort of injustice within, you know, what was expressed or not being met or whatever, but, but you can still like unconditionally love them. You know, you can, you can, you can still love them from afar and unconditionally you know, provide that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you, you have to like, you know, you can put up a clear boundary and and accept that, but you you just can recognize that maybe that relationship or whatever it is, isn't gonna, isn't gonna provide what you're actually needing. And then I, I guess that's a part of the acceptance process. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, it's also, uh, I mean, part of that is, you know, having, having, uh, unmet expectations in, in your head or in my head, you know, of what I thought was there and then what, what really trans transpired, you know? Yeah, man. I mean, it's just, it, it just goes back to communication, you know, like two people can be conversing and what one person could be, think they're, you know, saying one thing and the other person could be interpreting it like a whole different way. And it kind of, it can get a little bit messy. That's, that's why I think communication is like the, one of the most important things in any, in any type of an endeavor or relationship, because otherwise they're, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just think it really makes sense to be kind of clear from the get go. And, um, otherwise, otherwise it just creates more resentment. You know, it's just like, we're, we're trying to like force people or relations or things to kind of come into being. And it's, it's met with this like 
discommunication of, of, of unmet needs and unmet expectations. And then what I find myself doing is like trying to like overextend myself in a way and trying to like, it just gets to almost like a breaking point where, you know, enough is enough. And, and, um, yeah, trying to, trying to, um, trying to kind of discern from that because like just discernment is one of our like our biggest gifts yeah well knowing knowing when to react that's what you're saying like is this life-threatening was one of your conditions for anger like is this the worst that's ever happened that's all in Mm. discernment that's all in your own perception of making it up I, I think I think one of one of the things I'm I'm realizing is as I get older, like the disputes become more about property. Like when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily have ownership of a toy or something and, and or didn't earn it myself, you know, it was like given to me a gift. And then if somebody you know, if if, if like one of my friends stole my toy in the to- in the play yard it's like, you know, I maybe got angry to a degree, but then, but our agreements weren't as, as clear, you know, they were, they were pressed upon us by others. Now in this part of my life, I'm making more, um, you know, my own agreements, my own rules. Um, and then most of my disputes are actually over real property now because, you know, as an adult, like that's, um, you know, when you, when you work for something, it becomes your property. Yeah. So like kind of when you were a kid, you know, there was like disputes and things, but there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of innocence within child behavior. And and I think there's innocence in adult behavior too, but it's, it's just like, as it, as we evolve and learn and become more intelligent and conscious and aware, there is, yeah, it, it it just means that there just needs to be more more clear communication. Yeah, and and clear like if there's property involved, clear property rights and and clear where you know. Because it, it's you know um, yeah, every every moment we make is a, is an investment. Yeah, definitely. You know, trying to, trying to, you know, plant the seeds in the fertile ground and set that soil foundation and really create like a thriving environment for our our physical seeds and seeds of intentions to manifest and blossom and bloom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, Harry, Harry kind of had a different perspective last week. He was, he was talking about the, the oneness and like trying to actually do less. And I think you, you would find that's a more peaceful way of relating to the, to the world. If you're trying to own everything and dominate everything and um, instead of looking at it as like an abundance and a gift and giving coming from that place. So maybe maybe even the anger is rooted in kind of this um this lower vibrational feeling of lack too yeah yeah definitely the perspective and 
Yeah, I mean, with the conversation with Harry, it was it was almost like, you know, it doesn't matter what tool you use or what medicine or what practice or whatever gets you there. It's ultimately going to bring you to the present moment, whether you need a whole psychedelic experience or some sort of event or things to take place to kind of bring you to just what we said, like trying to find this place of acceptance which is much higher on the consciousness scale of all these like inferior emotions and then being able to move up on the ladder of consciousness of like that it's meant to be shared, you know, it's not meant to, but, but, but that's the interesting thing because it's like, you know, if, if, if I give you, if I give you like a, a plant or something, right. And, and I just give it to you naturally like natural giving there's that means that I'm giving you that with no expectation or of reciprocation in return. It's something that's like intrinsic within myself, like, you know, getting this feel good feeling of, of giving. Right. And then I think where we get into the gray area is like when, when we have, yeah, like when we have these expectations, right? Like, oh, I, I gave you a plant, you know, you, you know, what are you going to do for me? And that's just like a small little example, but, you know. But yeah, I feel, I feel that. I mean, I feel like our culture and society is, is usually that way. It's usually about, you know, return on investment. What am I going to get back for this interaction or this, this thing or what deal am I going to get or, um, versus coming from a, the more Hawaiian perspective of give like a ho'okupu, like an offering, a gift, um, and like honoring and respecting the place, you know. And not and and um, Harry was saying like um, giving without expecting to receive, and that 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 really resonated with me. Yeah, yeah, being in that place of just being able to give. And, like, I feel like he was kind of tapping into this state of, like, well, if someone is completely connected with nature and is in one with, with, their, with their walk, with their dharma, with their purpose, and they are able to recognize nature is not being separate from them, and they see nature as abundant, then 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 there's nothing else to do but give, you know, because like that's just what nature does. Yeah. Well, speaking of um, anger today, is there is there any specific reason you brought it up today? Uh, no, just just something that I mean, just something that I've just been working through. You know, it's 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 definitely like an inferior emotion, and I'm recognizing that. And, um, I don't know, I, I thought that, you know, maybe, maybe being a little vulnerable and, and sharing something inferior within myself that I'm working on, maybe, maybe there's someone else out there that's listening that it, it, it might be able to, to kind of spark some sort of progression or, or change. Yeah. Interesting. Well, today I noticed, um, I think the moon is half I was sitting here on the porch and I watched it kind of rise over. And um, today is one of the, I think it's uh, Ole 
Kulua. Ole Kulua. So that's, I, I believe, meaning that today, you know, when it's when it's half and it right, the moon rises at noon. It's one of the most difficult days. And so to kind of bring this anger idea into this larger uh, Helena Petrova Blavatsky idea of, um, you know, conscious and cosmic influences. Mm -hmm. So, so recognizing also in yourself that um, you're um, part of these larger cosmic things, which can, um, you know, t- they today they considered it, a, Hawaiians considered today a difficult day. Mm-hmm. Because, because the, the energy is like not in alignment with, with the, with the earth, the sun and the moon, it's kind of split. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not it's out of phase. So there's like when it's a full moon or a new moon, the sun, the moon, and the earth are basically in a straight line. And when it's a half moon, um, you know the the it's like at a right angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's out to the sides. Assuming you're you're not a flat earther. If you're a flat earther, then who knows what's going on? But in the real world. Um, <laughs> Um, that's how it works. And so, yeah, they, they recognize that and that today was, you know, better day for doing maintenance type stuff versus trying to plant, sow seeds, um, or, you know, um, deal, deal with any, you know, new, new things or whatever. So, yeah, I wanted to bring, bring the astrological aspects in. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think also in astrology right now, like Mercury's in retrograde, and that that kind of has to do with our like our communications and things that would generally be like easy or straightforward or things that you know are in rhythm might might kind of be out of that. Just in with what's going on with the stars and stuff because. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I know, I know you're able to witness it when you look outside on a clear night in the sky and there's just like this blueprint of the cosmos, like right in front of you, you know, and it's like how you look up at that and you're like, how, how isn't this divine, you know? And, 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 and um, when I actually came to Hawaii about, I don't know, a little over about two and a half years ago, I remember the first day that I came, I arrived at like nighttime and um, man, I was just kind of feeling overwhelmed and, you know, traveling so far away from home and, and all these things. And I, I got into my cabin, I, I, you know, brought in my luggage and my suitcases and I, and I kind of had this like feeling of like, like anxiety and I'm like what am I doing here like what what like I, I made the wrong decision I made the wrong choice this is not what I'm supposed to be doing I'm kind of freaking out and then I remember walking out of my cabin and like looking up at the stars and just seeing like a sight that I've never seen before on the mainland 
and just being in total awe and just finding peace and serenity in the moment and being like, okay, it's going to be okay. Like, like, and I don't know, that was kind of like nature's reflection back to me, I guess, of just being like there, there's a lot of beauty here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of vastness and infinite possibilities and it's okay to feel how you're feeling, but yeah, recognizing that maybe there's something a little bit more cosmic or divine that's kind of leading this. Huh, that's interesting. You felt comforted by the vastness of space. Yeah. Yeah, that, I don't know, that this like really helped me in, in, in that moment, like so much like so so very much and i was just able i looked up at the stars and i felt like i was able to reconnect with my breath and i was able to just kind of fall asleep and find you know wake up and feeling um recharged and activated yeah yeah and uh maybe maybe you did make a good choice then <laughs> seems like maybe we'll see i mean it seems like what well you you're you're enjoying it so far yeah i'm I'm enjoying the process learning to surrender a little bit more each day and you know accept the things that I can't change and and put into action the things that I can mm, mm, mm. so do you know? How many days a year Mercury is in retrograde? How many days a year? Yeah. So it's like I was I was talking about a few hippie dogmas the other day. I want to kind of maybe get into those here a little bit. One of those um, is I, I think it goes in I think it goes in like three times a year. And for how long? Like thirty days, sixty days. Um, I, mean, I know, I know well, it goes around the sun super fast. About, so, so in in two thousand nineteen, it, it's between March fifth and twenty eighth, July seventh to August second, and October thirty first to November twentieth. So, a little less than half a month. Well, so yeah, in some cases, it could be a little bit more than a month. But okay, two to three weeks, and then three times a year. Yeah, but I actually heard that there's actually like another one that's really more important. Like, I don't know if it's more important, but I think it's I think it's Venus when Venus goes retrograde. That it's actually like kind of and because and, that one happens like way less often. Isn't like, it? Isn't it true that Venus is actually spinning the other way around? I'm I'm not I'm not sure. I don't know if I can speak on that. But interesting about the retrograde. I mean, I mean it just means it's moving backwards from our perspective. And, yeah. You know, so I was I was um you know, since we're on this on this little tangent here, it's talking about the different um, um, models of the world, and like that thinking that the sun is the center of the uh, of the universe, or thinking that the Earth is the center of the universe. 
kind of the heliocentric, mm-hmm. geocentric. Um, and then when you, if and then people used to always think, oh, they they were so primitive when they thought that the Earth was the center of the universe. But that if you, and and it's and it's more, it makes more sense to model our solar system on the sun because things like retrograde then make sense, and you don't have to build these crazy models. Like Kepler, I think, or I forget who the astronomer was, but they used to draw these like little circles around that they used to do to to explain how retrogrades worked on this like geocentric model, as all the planets circled around the Earth. Um, and they used to make these little like loop figure eight kind of things that they would go around to explain how they move backwards. Um, and then, but if you make the sun the sun the center, it's way easier to account for all that like celestial movement and stuff but the issue becomes that if you make like the sun the center all all the different like astrological systems of like understanding from you know like the earth being the center where you are and then explaining it like astrologically because it, because in in essence, in essence, it, it like the Earth is the center of our universe from our perspective, right? Even though this, you know, this things rotate around the sun, but everything revolves around us because, like, we're you know, we're the thing. <laughs> I I don't know if you, so you yeah. followed that, but so, yeah, like either having. The perspective of we're the focus on earth and everything you know rotates around us or the understanding that you know the sun is the center and everything focuses around that and then i even think when you bring that up it's like i mean from our limited perspective maybe it's the sun but who really knows like you know it's so vast there could totally be a different center point from from something that could just not be perceivable well, I guess my point is that mathematically, you could make any point the center of the universe. I could I could define like this point right here in Onamea as zero zero coordinate, you know. But then to do the math then, to like yeah. figure out everything from this point is so complex. The transformations math I have to do. So math- mathematically, it doesn't make sense to pick this point, but spiritually, it may make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, which one are you saying is kind of more makes more sense? Well, I'm saying that each each should have its own case, and I should be able to apply it the model when necessary. But what I find happens with us in the modern age is that people are like, "Oh no, it's it's a geocentric, or it's a globe, or it's a flat Earth," or they get this like dogmatic belief, which, in the modern belief and context, it's actually like a religion. It's a set of like theories and things that we make into like deities. An accepted scripture. Well, it's kind of, it's kind of dogmatic, you know. I mean, even even science is dogmatic, you know. It's it's basically. I, I feel like that's kind of what modern science has done. Is it's like these are, 
this is Newtonian physics. This is our reality, and we're basing it all off of this. And we're gonna we're gonna make all our equations and all our things fit these models. And it doesn't really, yeah. I, I guess it's just like where where is your focal point? And if if nature truly is universal, then it it shouldn't really matter where that focal point is, because you could be able to find the pattern within it all. Yeah. Yeah, and you got to have the flexibility to use certain fle uh, focal points at certain times to, to suit the situation and the, the necessity of what you're doing. Just like, I mean, in certain, in certain cases, it may make sense to honor Hindu gods. In other, sense, in other scenarios, it may make sense to honor, um, you know, um, like Christian gods or Nordic gods. And, and use that framework to to address a um, you know an issue, something that you need to gain. And, and the more the more of those frameworks you have, the more tools you have to address um, what what's going on. So this, to to bring to yeah. bring this back to our earlier discussion, it's like you know you you brought up one framework for anger, and then there's all these other tools of how to deal with this stuff because they're human old problems as long as humans have been around there's been issues of anger yeah yeah definitely and i i threw the I Ching on it yeah and i got i'm not i'm not sure how you pronounce it kuai maybe k-u-a-i Lake over heaven, 43, breakthrough or resoluteness, a breakthrough. Do not be drawn back into bad habits. The arrival of this hexagram, Kuai, indicates that a long-awaited change is at hand. A difficult period has oppressed you over a long period is now about to dissolve. It is important to respond in the proper way. There is temptation on obtaining relief to fall into the traps of the ego pride at having dispersed the trouble self-righteousness about having triumphed through correctness anger at one who we think was the source of the problem or a desire to remain free of difficulty in the future none of these responses is the appropriate to the situation at hand what is needed now is a resoluteness a firm commitment to continuing the battle for good and to self into the self-examination that makes all good things possible. This is not a time to lapse back into ne negative mental habits and enjoy the vacation provided by the breakthrough. Do not rest on your laurels, but push forward, deepening your inner strength and your resistance to the influence of inferiors, both in yourself and in others. Strengthen those around you by setting an example of self-improvement and self-correction great progress pr great progress and good fortune are available now to one who makes proper use of this opening that's that's kind of funny i mean that just like reinforced what we were saying before like you broke through to a higher level like maybe there was a problem and then you got angry and you got to this higher emotional state through this anger and don't lapse back and like keep getting you know developing it so you can move through it yeah forget and then it says forget all ideas of a of a 
of accomplishing something in your practice and everywhere else. Everything is already accomplished. If this sounds like a tricky idea to you, the flaw is in your understanding of reality, not reality itself. Allowing nature to manifest is the way of the way. By setting aside our ambitions and leaving the way to the way, we perfect the way. Way cool. Way cool. Curds and way. Curds and way is the way to make the way. Yeah, the perfection of the way is to leave it out with a little wide surface area and then to pour it into milk 10 to 1 leave it for a few days it's the way yeah man LED where mm-hmm. where would we be without it where would we be without LED that's the, the song for the THC podcast is where would we be without THC so I just, that's kind of funny. Switch it. The, LA, <laughs> the LAB podcast with your host, Mr. Microbe at Natural Farming Hawaii. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, also just we're, get, we're getting in, starting our second hour here, I guess. And uh, so it just, wow, that, just that went by pretty quick. Yeah, well, just, just before we say bye to the free folks, we just want to lure them in that. I think eventually here I'll, I want to talk a little bit more about the hippie dogma and dissecting um, these long-held truths within the hippie nation and uh, some other stuff that we'll, we'll dive into, some natural farming stuff maybe. Yeah, diving deep into the to the hippie dogma and correlating it a little bit more to... Um, how to connect it to natural farming and how we can apply some of these esoteric things within our lives to see the results that we're looking for. Yeah, but let's jump back to Crowley for a bit. Well, that's it for our free episode. So join us at www.microbialsecret.org for the full episode and join the Microbial Secret Society. So uh, may the beneficial microbes be with you. Aloha.